0: Everyone, it's good to be back with you all and to share God's word with you. I hope that you have uh, once again all managed to remain safe and healthy and joyful over the last week. Uh, Today, we're going to be continuing our study through the book of Philippians. But before we dig in, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we love your word. We love the fact that you have given us such an amazing way to get to know you better. We pray for your Holy Spirit to open our hearts and our minds. Let your will be revealed to us, Lord, and and grant us the wisdom and the courage and the strength to carry it out. In your holy name and to your everlasting glory. Amen. Well, if you've been with me uh, since the start of this series, then you know that the book that we're studying, the book of Philippians, is an epistle, uh, which is a fancy word for letter. It's an epistle that was written by the Apostle Paul to the believers, to the Christians who were in the city of Philippi. Hopefully, you also remember that this book has often been described as the epistle of joy. And that is especially significant Uh, considering that when Paul wrote this letter, he was actually imprisoned in Rome. Uh, He was sheltering in place. Our scripture today uh, is from chapter 1, beginning at the second half of verse 18 and continuing through verse 26. Before we continue though, uh, I'd just like to provide a quick note on why we're starting in the middle of a verse. Well. Over the years, as you've read through your Bibles, you've probably noticed that not all verses and, and chapters begin or end where you might think that they should. And there's actually a very good reason for this. The original manuscripts were written in all capital letters uh, with almost no punctuation at all. That means that the translators, w- with a lot of help, from the Holy Spirit, uh, had to make sense out of this stream of of letters that that was before them. Can you imagine trying to do that? Uh, No punctuation marks and no breaks between words. And this becomes especially problematic when dealing with anything that was written by Paul. See, uh, the Apostle Paul was the master of the run-on sentence. In the King James translation, uh, for example, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, is one continuous sentence that contains about 240 words. And that's followed by another sentence uh, from verses 15 to 21 that contains 167 words. Well, over the years, in the different translations, uh, men have you know, with the help of the Holy Spirit, have inserted punctuation marks in an attempt to make it easier for us to read and to understand. But there are still a few spots uh, where it is necessary to divide a verse in order to present a complete thought. And this is exactly where we find ourselves today. You see, verse 19 begins with the word for. And in this case, the word for is used as a synonym for uh, because or therefore. And you all know the rule, I would hope, uh, that what we do when we see the word therefore. When we see the word therefore, we ask ourselves, what is it therefore? Well, in this case, we don't have to go too far back to find it. it. In fact, it's in the second half. Of verse 18, where Paul says, Yes, and I will rejoice. That statement sets up what we read over the following eight verses. So, if you all have your Bibles open to Philippians chapter 1, let's read today's text. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, and that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means because of my coming to you again. Paul is rejoicing. He's in prison, and and yet he is rejoicing. And I suppose the big question here is, why? Well, Paul provides us with, with a couple of reasons for his attitude. First of all, he is looking forward to being delivered, to being vindicated. Paul was not clairvoyant and he, he couldn't see the future. Therefore, we can only surmise that Paul was not referring to being vindicated uh, before the Romans, but rather he was speaking about being vindicated before God. He had been given no divine revelation you know, in the form of a prophetic dream or angelic visit. He was giving no reassurances that that he would survive his imprisonment. However, Paul was filled with hope and expectation. He knew that because of the prayers of his friends and and because of his relationship with Jesus, that, that he'd be able to stand before God, unashamed and joyful. Christian hope and shame are mutually exclusive. Listen to what Paul wrote in Romans 5, 5. And hope does not put to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The only thing that could bring shame to Paul is if he were unable to win the Lord's approval. Paul makes it very clear. That, that he is prepared for any eventuality, but whether he survives his imprisonment or not, Christ will be exalted. Paul is so certain of that that, that he makes one of the most profound statements in, in all of history. Uh, do you remember, uh, I hope you do, that at the beginning of this series, I mentioned that this little book was packed with vitamins Well, this is one of those vitamins. In verse 21, uh, when Paul says, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Wow. (laughs) What does that mean? That's going to take a little bit of unpacking. Uh, So let's start with the very first part of that statement. To live is Christ. To live is... As Christ, to live is Christ means to magnify Christ, to, to demonstrate how magnificent Christ is in everything that we do. In his book, uh, appropriately titled, "To live is Christ: to Die is Gain." Uh, Matt Chandler, who, who is the lead pastor at the village church outside of Dallas, Texas, Matt Chandler offers the following definition. To live is Christ means that our lives are lived to him, through him, with him, for him, and about him. Everything should be about Jesus. There is no question that Paul lived out every single one of these examples. Uh, His life, from the point of his conversion onward, was lived to Christ Everything that he tried to be, that that he was, and and everything that he ever looked forward to being, pointed to Christ. He he preached in the synagogues, and he he preached by the riverside. He, He preached as a free man and as a prisoner. He preached as a tent maker and as an apostle. And his message was always the same. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul preached to anyone that would listen. To Jews, to Gentiles, kings, governors, soldiers, men, women, children. Paul lived his life through Jesus. He knew, as, as should we, that the only effective way for him to continue his ministry was by allowing the Spirit of Christ to work through him. He was constantly putting his own needs aside, especially the physical ones like comfort and safety. He was putting his physical needs aside in order to serve the gospel. As we'll read later on in this series, Paul was certain, he was 100% certain, that with Christ working through him, he could do anything. He lived for Jesus For Paul, there was no higher purpose than the advancement of the gospel. All he wanted to do, all he wanted to do was work for Jesus. Because he knew that wherever he went and in whatever crazy situation he might find himself, Jesus would be with him, giving him strength, giving him comfort, and above all, giving him an example to follow. Paul was an imitator of Christ. You know, I've mentioned that, that Paul w- was not the kind of guy to ask anyone to do anything that he would not do himself. Paul told his people to follow his example. And, and this wasn't out of some self-inflated kind of ego trip. He told his people to follow his example because he himself was following Christ's example. What would Jesus do? See, that's what we need to be doing. Paul was all about Jesus. He was willing to give up anything that prevented him from gaining a deeper knowledge of his Lord and Savior. Paul wanted to know everything that he could know about Jesus. How he lived, how he died, and the power of his resurrection. Paul found great joy in having Christ at the center of his life as his focus, his goal, and his highest aspiration. His single-minded devotion provides all of us with a benchmark worthy of admiration and imitation. But, as we will read, Paul knew that there was an even higher calling that could be answered. Well, you might say, wait a minute, Jim. What could be greater than living for Christ? In Paul's own words, to die is gained. What would be gained if Paul were to die? Well, for one, Paul knew that he would be in the presence of the Lord. And what could be better than that? In addition, he would never again feel the pain and the sufferings of this world. You see, Paul had endured a lot for the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 11, he provides us with a partial list of just some of what he had been through. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city danger in the wilderness danger at sea and danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst often without food in in cold and exposure and uh, apart from other things there is the daily pressure the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches well besides it being uh, a powerful testament to his dedication, I find that the passage also offers us a glimpse into the pastoral heart that Paul had. That even in the midst of some really intense physical trials, Paul still found himself worrying about his church. That that just might be the most Christ-like thing about the apostle, that he never let anything in the world Keep him from loving his people. Paul then proceeds to argue with himself. Uh, On the one hand, he regards death as a gain, but he recognizes that if he chooses to continue living in the flesh, and and that's an important distinction that, that underscores the eternal nature of being alive in Christ. So we live in Christ, but we also live in the flesh. And if Paul continues to live in the flesh, he will be able to continue Laboring for the gospel, he, he lets his readers know that he considers being there, being there for them in the flesh, more desirable of the two options, and and that's that pastor's heart that I alluded to earlier. Paul is unwilling to to leave his people when he knows that their journey has has just begun. He, he knows that there is still progress to be made for the advance of the Gospel, and not only to the world at large, but in the hearts of his friends. He feels that deep desire that he's always had for helping people, helping them to progress in their faith and to receive as much joy as they can while doing it. Having convinced himself of of the necessity of his staying around, uh, Paul goes on to say that by doing so, by sticking it out, He's going to give them all another reason to, to praise the Lord by returning to Philippi. He alludes to a most joyous homecoming uh, that will provide ample cause for them to glory in Christ. He foresees the day that he and his friends will celebrate the goodness of God, a God that has delivered their brother from bondage and brought him back to his family. So, what can we take away from our, our study of this passage? Well I think that a, a good place to start is right where, where Paul starts, by rejoicing. You know, because of our, our present circumstances, I am a, I'm well aware that rejoicing may not be our first reaction. But we have to pay careful attention to why Paul is rejoicing. He isn't rejoicing because he's in prison. He's rejoicing because he knows that his brothers and sisters are praying for him. He's rejoicing because he knows that the spirit of Christ is working for his deliverance. He's rejoicing because he knows in his heart that he has done everything humanly possible to be obedient to his God. He has taken every opportunity to spread the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, through word and through action. Paul is at a place where he is honestly not afraid to stand before God. The question here is this. Are we, in spite of our situation, continuing to be obedient to the Lord? Or are we diligently seeking to increase our knowledge of Him? Are we spending time in prayer, and are we reading and memorizing his scripture? Are we loving his people? As I've said before, and I will probably keep on saying, the world may have shut down, but God has not. The world may have shut down, but God has not. He is absolutely in control, and he has not changed in the slightest. He is still the God who who desires relationship with his people. He is still the God who is delighted when his children want to spend time with him. And he is still the God that is working all things together for our good. You know, the world has always been full of things that were beyond our control. But for the most part, you know, unless they were seriously affecting us, we found ways to, to kind of live around them, to, to work around them. We would chalk them up maybe as an inconvenience or, or as a disappointment and continue on our way. And we were largely able to do that because there were other outlets where we could uh, soothe our souls and, and let, our, let ourselves escape for a little while from whatever had been troubling us. But things are are way different right now. I don't have to tell you that. For a lot of us, access to our our stress-relieving activities has been denied. Uh, Travel is restricted. Movie theaters are shut down. That was one of my favorites. Movie theaters are shut down. Uh, Sporting events and concerts are gone. and, And we can't even meet together on Sunday to be with our church family. And then compounding all of this is the very real possibility of getting sick. Getting sick from a virus that at the time of my writing this message had already claimed nearly 200,000 lives in the United States. I mean, that's scary and it's unsettling. And the potential for danger has has caused me to, to ask myself questions like, will this trip to Knob Hill Supermarket be the be the one where, where I pick the virus up am I going to get sick by going to the grocery store and and if I do get sick what what will be the outcome am, am I the only one here that that has ever wondered that if he were to call me home right now would I be ready to meet the lord and, and I have to tell you that that is a question that that I've, that I have asked myself more than a few times over the, the last few years. It didn't just start with the pandemic. So let me explain. You know, I don't think any of us w- would disagree that the world just seems to be getting crazier and crazier every day, right? I mean, just when we, just when we think that we've seen the absolute worst that, that humanity has to offer, we are somehow greeted by an all new low. Even in the midst of a, a global pandemic, and rioting in the streets, and fires burning out of control all over our state, people are still able to find ways to make things worse. And, and this is not something new by, by any means. You know, Over the past few years, as I said earlier, as a result of being bombarded by, by bad news, I, I felt hopeless, and, and I have wished for the Lord to come back right in that moment. I've thought to myself, well, there's no hope and, and maybe things should just be stopped right now before people can let themselves sink any lower. If someone has made their peace with God, fine. And if they haven't, that's too bad because I was sick inside. I was sick of it and I was tired of, of being sad. I, I just, it was one of those, just take me now Jesus moments. Well, I know it's a bit dramatic, maybe, but that was a place where I have been. And those are feelings that I have had. And having those feelings made me stop <laughs> and realize how, how selfish I was being. I thought that I was ready to quit, but there is still so much work to be done. As long as any of us are alive and on this earth, we have a job to do. All of the misery that we see and and hear about is awful. One hundred percent awful. But it's also a cry for help. It's a flare that's that's being shot from, from a lifeboat up into the sky that says, We need Jesus And I'm not willing to to get into a helicopter and, and fly away to safety where there are still so many people left drifting around in the ocean. Like Paul said, to live in the flesh means fruitful labor. As long as we're here, we need to be advancing the gospel. There are lives that need Jesus now more than ever. People are hurting in, in, in ways that, just six months ago, they, they wouldn't have dreamed possible. Just imagine for a moment that, that you've been out of work for four or five months. And then your house burns down in a forest fire. And then you, you find yourself with your family and you're, you're trying to be socially distant from the other people who are living in tents in, in a refugee center. Now now try to imagine going through something like that without Jesus. The gospel is hope. We've been given the task of of shining a light into a world that that looks way different than it did six months ago. In, In order to be effective, we are going to have to adopt some different strategies for how we spread the word, the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, I, I wanted to give you all some ideas that didn't overlap too much with, with things that I have mentioned before. So, so I did some research, and I found a pretty cool list to share with you. And I've told you before that preachers love lists. And the best list of all is a list that, where each item on the list, the beginning letter, spells a word. That is the absolute Best list of all. Well, I have one of those for you this morning. Unfortunately, uh, it's not a great word, but it is memorable. The word is corona. So we start with the C. And the C is there to remind us to check on someone. Check on someone who is at risk or, or living alone. Call someone to to make a proper socially distant visit, if you can. A simple call or a visit, it lets someone know that that they're valuable and, and that they are worth remembering, even in the midst of all the madness. And it's also a perfect time, as you probably know already, it's a perfect time to share your faith. O, our next letter, reminds us to, well, we are talking to this person or visiting them. O reminds us to offer to do something for that person. Offer to help them out in some way. M- maybe it's a, a run to the grocery store, or maybe f- to fix something in their yard or in their house. Perhaps they need someone to walk their dog or to uh, pick up their kids and, and drop them off at childcare or daycare. The the list is is huge, but but you get the idea. Offer to help them out. R reminds us to respect the way that someone is processing their fear of the pandemic. Everyone has different ways and different reactions and a different strategy for dealing with this crisis. Some people just laugh it off like, like it's no big deal. But for other people, this is only like one step removed from the zombie apocalypse. The, the point here is to be sensitive and to meet people where they are. Never underestimate your ability to make things worse. And there's two guidelines to to keep in mind. First, do no harm. And second, don't cause a brother or sister to stumble. Respect how someone is processing their fear. The next O is there to remind us to Organize something social to do. Well, the quarantine is is driving people into isolation. But as God said from the very beginning, it's not good for us to be alone. Take the initiative and, and bring people together, even if it's uh, simply online. Um, we all need interaction, and the lockdown has been starving us of that. Uh, Zoom and uh, uh, there's, I, I guess, a new company called Jackbox are, are just two of the online platforms that that we can use to organize online game nights. That's a pretty cool thing. Uh, we think about it, you can host an event and not have to clean your house. That's a win-win, and, and it demonstrates the value of biblical community. N is there to remind us to take advantage of online church resources, to network online church resources. Our Facebook pages don't have to be endless streams of political posts and cat videos, although I do love a good cat video. Uh, today's technology offers an incredible amount of online church resources that can bring light and hope right onto our home pages. Everything from videos and messages to blogs and inspirational quotes. Instead of offering just another doomsday report, we have the opportunity to be intentional and spread the word about positive biblical resources that that will benefit everyone we know as well as ourselves. And finally, the A. The A is there to remind us to ask if and how we can pray for somebody. And I know I've said this before, but it's, it's really, really important. Be bold and, and, and take a risk. In times like these, people who would normally shy away from spiritual things are grasping for anything solid that they can hang on to. I have never had anyone say no when I've offered to pray for them. And, and that includes some people who claim to be atheists. Well, I hope that this this list has given you... Maybe some new ideas and and strategies for spreading the gospel during the pandemic. And there is actually one more, though, that I found on a different list, but I thought it was worthy enough to to share with you. What about recording your testimony and posting it online? I mean, all of us should have that two minute version uh, of our testimony of how we came to know Jesus and that's something that could, that could be recorded and, and posted on Facebook or, or Instagram. Testimonies are a beautiful way to, to tell the world about the grace and the love of the Lord. Testimonies put a human face onto a God-centered story. And it draws people in, especially people that know us, in a way that, that no other words can. The unassailable nature of a personal testimony is so powerful. You know, people can, and I'm sure you know this from if you're on Facebook, that people can and will argue over just about anything. But something that they can't argue about is what happened to me or what has happened to you. On a side note, when that day comes when we are able to meet together again, do you think it would be cool to to have a brother or a sister share their testimony on Sunday morning? Maybe uh, once a month? It's just something to think about and, and hopefully to, to look forward to. Well have I got you all thinking about the day when we get together again? I hope so uh, because that is where I, I want us to be as I move into my final section of the message. You see the lockdown has created a whole bunch of Pauls. We are all Paul. We are locked away, separated from one another, looking forward to the day when we can be together. We've got a whole bunch of people that are anxiously awaiting that joyful reunion with their church family. None of us are able to say, though, with, with any certainty how much longer things will continue. And, and even when it's over, it's going to be different. And, and what is that going to look like? We have, you know, confusion and we have doubts, and, and it's mixed in with a healthy dose of fear and anxiety. And, and that's making for a, a powerful distraction, a distraction that that can cause us to to lose sight of of who we are and what we're meant to be doing. See, now is the time when we have to look beyond reality, to to look beyond that fog of uncertainty to the solid rock that we're standing on, the solid rock that is Jesus Christ, And, and there is no firmer foundation. We are the church, the bride of Christ that he has called together for his purpose. Blossom Valley Bible Church has been through some pretty rough times over the past years, but but yet we remain. We remain because at our core, we are a group of people that love the Lord and that love one another and who love the church. I'm proud of you, and I will boast in the Lord about you. You have not been content to, to simply wait it out. You've remained faithful with your, with your tithes and with your offerings and with your support for our partners in, in the global outreach mission field. Our church grounds have been maintained. Uh, it looks great down here. Uh, the buildings have been kept clean and sanitized. The, the leadership team and the elder board have been meeting faithfully To ensure that when we do reopen, it is done in a a safe and and a responsible manner. I know how important our church is to you because of how faithful you have been. I know that you are praying for her, and I know that you are praying for one another. That is a tremendous encouragement for me, and it should be for you as well. To paraphrase something that, that Paul said, I thank God for you always in my prayers and you fill my prayers with great joy. This too shall pass, my friends. And the day will come when, when we get to look back on, on what's going on right now. It is my deepest hope that when we do look back we're, we're able to say that we never lost sight of who we are in the Lord. Sure, there there have been some times uh, we've been disappointed, maybe we felt a little discouraged, but those times did not last and they did not define us. We will look back and we will remember. We will remember how the Spirit of, of Jesus Christ moved among his people. We will remember how we prayed for our church family. We will remember that we stood firm upon the rock of Jesus Christ and we rejoiced at the goodness and the faithfulness of our God. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, you are mighty and you are holy and we praise your name. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness and your great mercy. We thank thank you for what you're doing in our lives and in the lives of our brothers and sisters. Lord, grant us your wisdom and strength as we continue to stand firm on the rock of your truth. May our hearts remain focused on the gospel and on the earthly mission that you have so graciously given to us. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, as always... May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be gracious unto each and every one of you. May he turn his face to make it shine upon you and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Have a wonderful week. Uh, As always, look for opportunities to show Jesus. Stay safe, stay joyful stay healthy. I love you all, and I am really looking forward to seeing some of you on the morning of the 13th. 9.30. Hope to see you here. Bye.
1: Good morning, everyone. This is our communion presentation for whatever day this is shown. Um, we just come back from all of the, um, the fires that are going on, air is smoky. we got all kinds of stuff happening right now. If we begin the list of them, you'd think we were going through the plagues of Egypt. But you know what? Aside from all that, we are very fortunate. And sometimes we kind of lose sight of the fact that we don't get, have a concept how much God loves us. And it's not just okay, an ooey-gooey love. It's a real special love. Um, Scripture says this in John 1 John it says See how great a love the Father has for us He lavished it on us That we should be called children of God And such as we are Another verse from 1 Peter says this But you are a chosen people A royal priesthood, a holy nation And here's the best part God's special possession That's us that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. In 1995, Stuart Townhead he felt moved to write a song. And he sensed this incredible amount of love that God has for us. And he wrote this meaningful song about communion. I think you'll be surprised when I tell you what it is. It's written so recently, but I think it's been written years ago but um, but sh- and but shortly I'll read you the song but in a recent interview with Stuart he explained his motivation he said this the danger now is that we are so focused on the experience of worship that we have become self-seeking and self-serving when all of our songs are about how we feel and, how, and what we need we're missing the whole point There is a wonderful, omnipotent God who deserves our highest praise. And how we feel about it is in many ways irrelevant. I want to encourage the expression of joy and passion and adoration in songs, but I don't want those things to to be the focus of it. I want those to be the byproduct. And I'm trying to write songs that refer to us as little as possible and to him as much as possible. So let these words set up and prepare our hearts for our communion presentation. And you'll figure out what song it is as soon as I start reading the words, but it just was kind of interesting. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great a pain a searing loss, the Father turned his face away. As wounds which mar the Chosen One bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath had brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. So why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. I just think that's such an inspired song by a person who desirely, truly wanted to have others Come to a personal relationship with God to realize how much He loved us, how much He gave of Himself for us, and perhaps we can reflect upon that during our communion service today. Again, I don't know what you have at home. Here at church, we have our typical communion setup. You may have um, French bread, you may have any kind of bread. Anyways, but this bread right here, we kind of take every week. Sometimes we take it for granted. We're that way. But you've got to remember that this represents the body of Christ. He lived the perfect life on earth. He became a model for all of us to follow. And then he, and he allowed his life to be broken for us. So when we take the bread, this reminds us that he was broken for us. And... <clears throat> The grape juice it's kind of what we use here, represents his blood, which, which Christ gave upon the cross. Like the verse says here, behold, the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders, ashamed I hear my mocking voice, call out among the scoffers, it was my sin that held him there, until it was accomplished, this dying breath had brought me life, I know that it is finished, and God finished the work of salvation but when he shed his blood for us, let's take it together. I would like to say a prayer now. Lord, thank you so much for helping us understand the meaning of your love for us. We don't fathom it. We don't understand it totally. We do know that the things that you've given to us, we're very grateful for, but Lord, we are so quick to be distracted by the things of this world. For the time that we have together here in our communion presentation, Lord, help us to be focused on the fact that You love us so much. You gave so much for us on the cross, and even day to day, Lord, for even even our dreams, Lord, You 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 meet us in our dreams and and you and you show your your pleasingness. You're pleased with us, Lord. We're grateful for that. And so anyway, we just want to bring us all to Your glory, Lord, knowing that that we belong to you, and you think we're so special. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.